0: This dynamic message is brought to you by Redemption in Jesus with Marco Rava. So here is the title of our message as we continue with our series on The Freeing Truth About. So this morning, our message is titled, The Freeing Truth About Names Being Blotted Out of the book of life. I'm sure that at some point in your Christian walk, some point in your flipping Christian channels, listening to teachings, you have heard somewhere about Revelation 3 5, which talks about names being blotted out, supposedly. And so many people teach it erroneously, many people teach fear. Many people, even though the intention is to motivate, you know, Christians, believers, to live more committed to God, and even though they try and motivate the lost, the unsaved, to receive salvation in Jesus through this, all it does is it brings about doubt, it brings about confusion, because here's the thing, if someone tells me that I can sign up I mean, in actual fact, that did happen to me, something similar. I mean, you can't compare it to eternal life. But I remember back in South Africa when I was a young man, uh, a younger man, because I'm still young. But anyway, (laughs) I, I, you know, I got into bodybuilding and I was doing really well. I was entering competitions and I was starting to look lean and big and, you know, my muscles were doing a good job. And so... Uh, I really got into it. I really enjoyed it. I really loved it. And I thought, well, let me pursue a gym that will give me a good membership because, you know, some of them were pricey. And as a young man, just fresh into the workplace, still putting myself through Bible school and all of that, you know, still (laughs) pursuing my dreams in life, I didn't have all that much to spend on a gym membership. But yet I needed to be in gym six days a week in order to work out and you know continue what I was pursuing on the side with bodybuilding and so I found this gym that assured me that they would give me a lifetime membership and all I had to do was pay the initial fee and then pay off the rest for, a, for about a year and then once that was done I had a lifetime membership and so it sounded good, it looked good on paper, and I thought, well, there it is. So I'm likening this to having my name written down for, life, for a lifetime. So I thought, well, this is great, because once I paid off after the year and I pay this kind of hefty, you know, down payment, I'll be great, I'll be fine. Then I can work out for the rep, because as far as I was concerned, I was going to do bodybuilding as long as I could, until my body would be too old to do it, I guess. And so it sounded good. And so I went ahead and paid the fee and signed and paid this off and uh, only (laughs) for the gym to end up going bankrupt and closing about 18 months into this whole thing. And so even though I thought my name was permanently written down as a permanent member, as a lifetime member, I found out that it wasn't because one day I showed up and the doors were closed, the lights were off, and there was a big sign on the door that said, uh, you know, bankruptcy, whatever it said. And that was it. So I lost my membership. I lost my money. It was all gone. Never again did I, did I get caught like that. But the point that I'm trying to make or <laughs> what I'm trying to illustrate with all of this is, is that, you know, things in life here on earth, even though we're told this has lifetime warranty, this is a lifetime membership, it can truly not always be guaranteed and you know so what happens is that when we go to church or when we listen to teaching that doesn't quite divide the word the why, the divide the word of god correctly we end up hearing similar things yes you are saved you're eternally saved god loves you he's going to have you in heaven forever but and here comes the small print that's too small to see without my glasses but He can blot out your name if you don't do this, you don't do that, or you do that, and you shouldn't have done this, and so forth and so forth. And so, you know, at the end of the day, many who embrace salvation in Jesus, many who think that they are eternally saved, end up finding out through this erroneous teaching that they actually don't have a lifetime or an eternal life guarantee that they will be in heaven and written in the, in, in the book of life. And so we want to clarify this today, because the honest truth is, is that before God gave me revelation, and understood what this really was about, I too lived in that fear, in that concern. I too had this ugly membership experience with this gym, and I thought, and you know, I would transfer that onto eternal life. And I thought, well... That means that at any point when God doesn't see me fit to enter heaven anymore, then he's going to blot out my name. So I better measure up. And then on top of that, I was in an environment and, you know, that's what they knew. That's what they taught. So I'm not, I'm not throwing the baby out with dirty bathwater. But, you know, that's what I would hear. And and sometimes as I got, got involved in leadership, I, the, it, this would be a threat. You know, if you don't do this and do that, you know, for the church, for the ministry, then you're risking having your name blotted out. And I don't appreciate those things. And I always used to wonder, is God really like that? And is that what God really said when He said these things? Now, in order for us to understand what I'm going to do, well, first of all, remember, the title is The Freeing Truth About Names Being Blotted Out of the Book of Life. So we're going to see what the Word of God says, what God really meant, what the Lord Jesus really meant, and how we should interpret it and understand it. And I'm going to give you scripture, as you know. And so I believe that the issue will be settled for you. So if for any reason you have these concerns, you've had these concerns, you may meet someone who has those concerns, you're able, you will be able to minister to them adequately, I believe. And so that's what we're going to look at. But <clears throat> before we get into that, let's have a look a little bit into where this originates from and where this comes from. Because, unfortunately, where it comes from and where we are as New Covenant believers is often blended and put together. And this is why some still teach that believers can have the name blotted out of the book of life. So let's see that. Let's see where it originates from. Let's see where this uncertainty comes from. Exodus chapter 32 verse 33 is where we're going to begin. Now, before we read it, let me explain what happened here. To give you the background. Remember, the children of Israel were traveling towards the promised land. And so Moses would be up on the mountain receiving the law of God and giving the law of God to the people because that's what they chose. He brought it to them and they said, yes, tell God we will live by His law. I'm putting it in my words. And we will adhere to it all. Not realizing that how can imperfect beings, descendants of a fallen being, how can they live up to a perfect law of a perfect God? I mean, that was foolish for them to do, but that's what they chose. So God gave them what they wanted. And it took hundreds of years for them to realize that they couldn't. But it serves as a top and shadow for us to see how we need redemption in Jesus by grace and grace alone, not by our human effort or our religious performance. Because it can never happen that way. Amen. And so let's see with this original. So the, what, what happened here is, is that Moses was up on the mountain. You know, spending time with God. Receiving the law of God. And so the children of Israel got impatient. Because he was taking too long. Too many days. So they go to Aaron. And unfortunately Aaron gives into peer pressure. And they decide to build a golden calf. And begin to worship it like the Egyptians did where they were slaves. And so Moses comes down and sees this, and he gets totally mad. And you know, you know the rest of the story. So this is what is linked to this, and it's in that context that God says the following: Exodus 32, verse 33. Watch this. <clears throat> and the Lord said to Moses, unto Moses, Whosoever has sinned against me, talking about worshipping that golden calf, in other words, worshipping an idol instead of God, him or her, obviously, will I blot out of my book. Hmm. So right there, God basically makes it known to Moses and to the people who were now under God's law. He lets them know and He says, The one who worships this golden calf, worships another idol instead of me, him or her will I blot out of my book. So it is there. God did say that he would do this. But here's what we need to understand as far as the time, the context, and who it applies to. What we need to understand is is that this applies to those who were under the old covenant law. The old covenant is a covenant of law. How does it work? You fulfill the commandments, you have blessings. You fail to fulfill them, you cursed. Cursings come upon you. You see, it's a merit-based system. It's a human effort-based system. It's a religious performance-based system. And the new covenant believers don't relate to God that way. This is why Jesus instituted, through his death, burial, and resurrection, he instituted a new covenant. And that new covenant operates by grace, not by law. Law is the operating system of the old covenant. Grace is the operating system of the new covenant. Now, does that mean that we don't relate to the law at all, that we ignore it? No, of course it doesn't. But what we do is we see it as the type and shadow and how it points to Jesus and the new covenant of grace. That's how we should adequately divide the word of God, understand the word of God. And Paul told Timothy that exact thing. He says, you know, be, make sure that you divide the word of God correctly. He was talking about that. And so what we see here and what we saw God tell Moses, first of all, in context, it has to do with worshiping idols and other gods. Second of all, it's applicable to those who relate to God by law. So if you want to relate to God by law, then yes, your name can be blotted out because it is based on your merit, your performance, your human effort, your religious performance. And I mean, it would be foolish to relate to God by law, knowing that God provided redemption in Jesus and grace through the finished work of the cross. It's just crazy. And you can't mix the two either. You can't blend them, even though... Much of Christendom seems to do that. You can't do that. And so this applies to them. Look at this real carefully to show you how it does not apply to the new covenant believer. Romans 6.14. We're familiar with these. It says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, watch this, for you are not under law, but under grace. I mean, God couldn't make it any clearer than that. You are not under law. It doesn't say you'll be under some law. It doesn't say you can, you'll be under a little bit of law and as long as there's more grace than law. No, it doesn't say that. It says as New Covenant believers, you are not under law. This is why sin cannot have rulership over you. Why? Because the law always points out your failures, your sin. And that's why it, makes, it, it becomes your master and it rules over you. And so here he says, if you're under grace, sin is not going to have the power over you because you're not under law. In other words, it doesn't have the law to enforce its power over you. So it's very clear that New Covenant believers don't relate to God by law. They shouldn't relate to God by law because we're under grace. And here's another one, Galatians 5 verse 4. It says, you have become estranged from Christ, In other words, <laughs> alienated from Christ or strangers to Jesus, you, watchers, who attempt, notice the best we can do is try, attempt. We cannot get it right. Who attempt to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. In other words, grace is higher than law. This is why you fall from grace when you try and go back and relate to God. By your merit, your performance, your human effort, your religious performance. And so, when God said to Moses in Exodus 32-33 that he will blot out names, he was specifically talking to those under law. He wasn't talking to those under grace. So, it's written for us, but it's not written to us. And so, we need to understand that in order to understand that correctly. So, Under law, yes, they could not have eternal certainty with God. Why? Because it was determined by their law keeping. So when they began to worship this golden calf, they failed to fulfill the first commandment, which is what? You will have no other gods. So they failed, and this is why God said, I will blot them out of my book. It was a legalistic system. You perform, you stay in the book. You don't perform, you blot it out of the book. So yes, that is how it worked under law. But I've just shown you, we are not under law as new covenant believers. Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law. Remember that? And so let's continue some more with where this uncertainty originates from. We've clarified that. But I've often also heard some quote this portion and say, see, Here's the second witness that our names can be blotted. And then, of course, they go to Revelation 3 as the third witness that your name can be blotted out. But they fail to tell you who it applies to, who it's written to, and who it's written for, and who it applies to. And so, Psalm 69 verse 28. Watch this. This is King David writing, and watch what he says. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living and not be written with the righteous. I mean, you look at that statement, or those statements, it's hard to interpret, interpret them any other way than what they say. It says, Let them be blotted out of the Book of the Living, and not be written with the righteous. Okay? So, who wrote this? First of all, obviously inspired by the Holy Spirit, yes. But remember, not everything that you see in the Bible is written to you. There's much of it that is written for you. You see, it's like I said last week. One of the mistakes Christians often make, believers often make, is is that they try and put themselves in every verse in the Bible. You don't have to do that. God tells you when you should put yourself there. Other than that, you need to let the Holy Spirit lead and guide you and read it in context. Let the Bible interpret the Bible and look at everything through the finished work of the cross and you will see, you will understand whether this is something that is written for you or if it's written to you. Now again, this is something that is written for us but it's not written to us. And again, who wrote this? King David. Did he live under the time of law? Yes, he did. So he was applying the principle of the law that God gave him Moses. So he wasn't wrong in saying that. Now, the other thing too that we need to see here, and if you read the whole psalm you will see it. King David was crying out to God about his enemies who hated him. And they hated him without cause. There was no reason for them to hate him. They chased him around Saul, King Saul chased him around for 13 years because he was jealous of him. And you know, this happens to us believers. Sometimes people just decide they don't like us. They decide to try and be vindictive towards us. But you know, as we shared last week, the battle is the Lord's. He will change hearts. He will fight. He fights in our favor and we have the victory. Amen. But nonetheless, this is what's going on here. So King David wrote this. And he wrote this with a premise, with a motive of crying out to God because he was fed up. He was tired of his enemies trying to kill him and destroy him because they hated him for no reason. And so that's when he wrote this. So really, this was a request by David out of desperation and anger. I mean, for you to pray and say, God, take them out of your book. Don't let them be written with the righteous. I mean, first of all, who are you to judge them and their hearts? But second of all, for you to pray that, I mean, you must be pretty hurt, upset, and angry. Isn't that so? I mean, I know sometimes people come against me, and sometimes people do things that I'm like, what did I do to make them dislike me so much? What did I do that they feel this way about me? And then I realize it's just, you know, evil, (laughs) using people to try and be destructive. But at the same time, you feel like praying a prayer and saying, God, let maybe just one brick fall on their head and and knock sense into them or something. I mean, I'm sure you felt that way before. So yeah, David is really expressing that because he was just so frustrated and irritated with these people that hated him for no cause. But yet he prays that their names be blotted out of God's book. Or so it seems, isn't it? Now, to understand this... Number one, we need to read the context and it will show you that it's David writing this. Okay? So it's written for us, but it's not written to us. Don't put yourself in that. Right? So, <laughs> the other thing too that we need to take note of here is, is that Psalm 69, the majority of that psalm is known as an imprecatory psalm. Now, there are 20 psalms. In the book of Psalms, and as you know, there's a whole bunch of them, more than a hundred. But 20 of those Psalms are also known as imprecatory Psalms. What is an imprecatory Psalm? Let me show you the Webster's 1828 dictionary, American Dictionary definition, which is the last version that was Bible-based, the 1828. That's why I like to use that one it shows you and tells you the meaning of what an imprecatory psalm is. So I'm going to show you how it defines the word imprecatory. Here it comes now. It says imprecatory means containing a prayer for evil to befall a person. (laughs) So basically, in essence, it's telling us there that 20 or so psalms that were written were written by someone, mostly King David, who was frustrated with someone else, and he prayed for evil to befall on those people. Why? Because he lived under law, and he realized if he messes up, curses come upon him. So he figured, well, this is the way God is. So if I pray to God, you know, to take care of someone who's unjustly attacking me, then it's going to happen. So he wasn't wrong in his mindset and his doctrine understanding. And why he prayed that. So, but that just shows you that not everything that you find, even in Psalms, is written to you. Some of it is written for you. And that's what this was. This was an imprecatory Psalm. So it was King David writing out of frustration and being legalistic because he was under law and saying, God, I don't know what else to do. Can you take care of them? Let's begin by taking them out of your book. So that's what we see there. So this was something that David stated in prayer. But it's not something that God stated as fact. So we need to make sure that we understand that, right? And also, the other thing that I want to point out to you is is that, remember when we read what David said? He said, let them be taken, let me me go, go there, It says, let them be blotted out of the book of the living. He didn't say out of the book of life. He said out of the book of the living. Well, who were the living? If you look that up and look into the original, he's talking about those who are physically living. So it was a terminology to refer to basically say, let kill them, put them to death. So they're no longer in the record here on earth as being alive. So he was praying that they would die, that God would basically kill them. That's what he was praying. And so it's not talking about the book of life. It's not talking about the book of eternal life. It's talking about the earthly book of the living. Our names, if you were to use that phraseology, that terminology, that uh, metaphor, we are all in the book of the living because we're all alive and breathing. But when we cease to breathe, We'll either be in the book of life or we will be where we don't, we would wish we didn't have to go, right? Which is eternal damnation. But that's a different book. So it's talking about two different, different situations here. And you can see, I've tried to do, explain the best as I can with our taking too much more time, what the background, the context and the premise of David's prayer was. So we cannot take that portion and say, see, This is the second witness that our names can be blotted out of God's book. No, it's talking about something different. It's someone's feeling. It's someone's understanding of old covenant scripture. Living under the old covenant. And it's linked to what God said to Moses about that specific situation. And so we're not under law. We're under grace. So does any of it apply to us? Of course it doesn't. But I need to show you that. And I want to show you that. And so... Really, David was crying out to God for deliverance here, even if it meant the death of his enemies. I mean, I'm sure at some point you felt that way. Some people just got, (laughs) you know, got in your case, rubbed you the wrong way, and they kept doing that, that you've reached the point where like, God, why can't you just take them out now? Well, that's in essence what David was doing. Now, let's take a look at the portion in the book of Revelation which is often seen as a continuation of this Old Covenant truth. I've actually heard one or two preachers say, you see, there it is. God said it to Moses. There it is. David verified it. And here it is in the book of Revelation. So three witnesses, you know, they say out of two or three witnesses, the truth will be established. In actual fact, that's something else that I need to teach on sometime. Because that two or three witness thing The context is different. It's not referring to proving Scripture or anything like that. But anyway, we'll get into that at some point. But so this is what they say. And so here we have the situation in the book of Revelation, which is seen as a continuation. And so they say, See, it was there under the law. It was there with David. And here it is in the new covenant. Therefore, your names can be blotted out. No, they cannot. And I'm about to show you how... It cannot because we need to understand and study this portion too. So let's read it. Now, this is Jesus speaking to the church at Sardis. Remember that he speaks to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. Through the apostle John, he dictates to him what to write to them. And so this is part of his writing to the church at Sardis. And the church at Sardis had some unsaved people in it and had some saved people in it. You know, not everyone that goes to church is is saved. That's part of a truth. I mean, as church, we want to reach out to people. So we are and we should have unsaved people among us until they receive salvation in Jesus. You know, for us to s- assume that everyone who walks through the door is saved, number one, we're missing the Great Commission, as we call it. Secondly, we're missing the whole point of being church and being the body of Christ because we want people who are unsaved to come Through our doors. It takes some people longer to receive salvation in Jesus. We can't judge their hearts or determine why. But it is what it is. And so this church in Sardis was the same. But the problem with this church was that there were some people who, who were there for way longer than they should. And they still had not received salvation in Jesus. So he rebukes them for that. And he says, you need to make up your mind. You know all this to know. Just make a commitment and do it. I'm putting it in my own words, obviously. But the focus here is about the names being blotted out. So let's read Revelation chapter 3 and verse 5. Watch us. Here's Jesus speaking to, the, to those in the church at Sardis. He says, He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. And I will not blot out his name from the book of life. But I will confess his name or her name before my father and before His angels. Now let's leave that there for a moment. Watch some of those things that we see there. Traditionally, this is taught to say, you see, this applies to the overcomer. And immediately they connect that to those who overcome sinful living, who overcome going back into the world. Basically, they determine for themselves that the overcomer is one who performs well religiously and one who puts all the human effort into being a Christian, a believer. And so, supposedly, at the end of their life, they succeed in being a good Christian, being a good believer. And because of that, they, they say that the reward will be white garments that they'll be clothed in, which is a type of righteousness. And the promises is that he will not God will not blot out their name from the book of life. And Jesus will be proud of them and declare them openly before God, And the angels that's in essence the general understanding but I want to submit to you today that that's not quite correctly interpreted that's not quite what Jesus was saying in actual fact he was saying the very opposite let's put it back and let me show you he was saying the very opposite notice he says he who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments And I will not blot out his name. So he is basically emphasizing that, that he will not blot out names. So his focus, yeah, is not on blotting out names, but on assuring those who are listening that he will not blot out their names. I'm going to qualify that some more in a moment. Okay. So, that's the first thing that I want to just put in your mind right now so you start thinking about it and start chewing on that. Now, let me say this and then I'll explain it and qualify it and show you some more scriptural proof. These are statements of assurance that Jesus made. They are not statements of determination. Can I say that again? These are statements of assurance for the believer. They are not statements of future determination, if I can put it that way. So he wasn't saying, if you overcome, then this is going to happen to you and I'm not going to blot out your name. No, what he was saying is, because you've overcome, you have the guarantee of being clothed in white and righteousness and you have my guarantee that I will not blot out your name. That's what he was saying. He wasn't saying it the other way, as I said it earlier, as I've heard it being taught. Now, to verify that and to show you that, we're going to take a look at the same portion from the Amplified translation. Because it just brings across that truth from the original a little bit clearer. So watch this. Revelation 3 verse 5 from the Amplified. It says, Jesus says here, He who overcomes... And here it is. Watch this. The world through believing that Jesus is the Son of God. So how do you overcome? Through believing and putting your faith and trust in Jesus, right? So when you put your faith and trust in Jesus for redemption, guess what? You're an overcomer. (laughs) Can you see that? So it's not stating about merit, performance, human effort, religious performance. It's stating a truth about those who receive salvation by grace and grace alone. It says, so he who overcomes the world through faith, uh, through believing that Jesus is the Son of God. And watch us now. Watch the certainty of the language here. Will accordingly. Notice, it's a clear, this is going to happen statement. Will accordingly be dressed in white clothing, which, I remember, is a type of righteousness. And... I will never blot out His name. From the book of life, watch this, and I will confess and openly acknowledge His name before my Father and before His angels, saying that He is one of mine. So, praise God that the Amplified helps us understand the original even clearer. And you can see, as I've explained to you, He wasn't saying, if you overcome, then you'll be clothed in white with righteousness, and I will never blot out your name. He wasn't saying that. He was saying, you have overcome because you believe, because you put your faith and trust in me. And because you've done that, it is a sure thing that you'll be clothed with righteousness, and I guarantee you that I will never blot out your name. You have the guarantee of your name being in the book of life for sure. So if you receive salvation in Jesus, your name is in that book. And it's never going to be blotted out because he says, I will never blot out his name. In the King James, he says, I will not. If you look at the original, it's a double negative. He's saying, for sure, for sure, I will not. And so there it is right there. We have that certainty. So the overcomer is the one who believes in Jesus. And because they believe in Jesus for redemption, guess what he says? they will accordingly be dressed in white clothing, in righteousness, and the Lord will never blot out their names from the book of life. So he's giving them assurance. He's not telling them this is, this is how it's going to be determined. He's telling them this is how it is for sure. Amen. That's what he's saying. So Jesus is stating facts about those who through belief have placed their confidence and trust in him. He is stating new covenant realities. Can you see that? You see, He is stating, basically, established facts about the believer. Now, to confirm this, let me show you two different portions of Scripture. The first one is in 1 John 5, verse 5, from the Amplified. Watch this. It confirms that. It says... Who is the one who is victorious and overcomes the world? So in other words, this is going to give us a definition of an overcomer in terms of the new covenant. It is is the one who believes and recognizes the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. So who is the overcomer? The one who believes in Jesus. The one who puts their trust and confidence in Jesus for redemption. That's an overcomer. So it verifies that. And then in the very same book of Revelation, watch chapter 12 and verse 11. Watch this. Talking about the devil. It says, And they, that's the believer, overcame him, that's the devil, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. In other words, their testimony about Jesus. And they did not love their lives to the death. So look at that real carefully. How is an overcomer defined? By someone who puts their faith and trust in the sacrifice of Jesus for their sin and testifies of what Jesus has done for them. That is an overcomer. So you can see those back up that truth that we saw in Revelation 3, 5. And this is why Jesus stated this as fact, not as This is how I'm going to determine it, but rather this is how it is. You have overcome by putting your faith and trust in me. Therefore, you will be clothed in white with righteousness. And I will never, I will not blot out your name from the book of life. It's a guarantee, praise God. You see, so they didn't overcome because of the human effort or because of their religious performance. But rather they overcame because they put their faith and trust in Jesus. Praise God for that. Just like we have. Amen. So despite traditional teaching, the overcomer is not the one who strives to please God, to impress God. And I'm not saying we shouldn't. We do that because we are, not because we're trying to be. Right? But because they put their trust in Him. That's the overcomer. The overcomer is the one who comes to the end of himself, to the end of herself, and realizes, in me, I cannot, I can never be saved by my marital performance. But I'm going to put my trust and confidence in Jesus and the finished work of the cross. And because of that, I know that I'm saved. And therefore, you are an overcomer. Praise God for that. Amen. And so because of that... (laughs) That person is clothed with righteousness and will never have his or her name uh, removed, blotted out from the book of life. It will always be there. So once more, let me state this again. These are statements of assurance and not of future determination. Amen. I trust that you see that because that's what he said. Now, let me show you another portion from the book of Revelation. And this time, this is talking about the new Jerusalem. Remember, when this is all said and done, this age is all said and done, and the new Jerusalem comes down from heaven, it's talking about that. But I want to point out something to you about the book of life, about the book where your name is written if you've received salvation in Jesus. Watch this. Revelation 21 verse 27 from the Amplified Translation. And nothing that defiles or profanes or is unwashed will ever enter it. Talking about the New Jerusalem. Nor anyone who practices abominations, detestable morally repugnant things, and lying. Watch this now. But only those who will be admitted, whose names have been written in the Lamb's book of life. That is another name for the book of life. The Lamb's Book of Life. So the Book of Life belongs to the Lamb. It's the Lamb's Book of Life. Now we know that the Lamb refers to Jesus. Why is that? Why is He not said Jesus or the Lord Jesus there? Why does it say the Lamb's Book of Life? Well, because He was the ultimate sacrifice for our sin. Amen. And because He was the ultimate sacrifice for our sin... It is his book. So notice it connects the book to him being the ultimate sacrifice, but it also connects our names being written in it as those who see him as the ultimate sacrifice for our sin. That's a powerful truth that oftentimes is missed there because it's so powerful. Now, just to remind us, John 1, verse 29. Remember the John the Baptist, what he said about Jesus. Here it comes now. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So right there we see that Jesus is the Lamb of God. And as the Lamb of God, He became the ultimate sacrifice who removed, who took away our sin. And so when it says that the ones who will enter the new Jerusalem will be the ones whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. It means that what it's saying is is that the names that you will find in the book of life, which belongs to the Lamb, Jesus, is because they have put their total trust and confidence in Him to remove their sin. So again, it's another guarantee. It's another assurance that that is how our names get in there and stay in there. Amen. It's pretty powerful. I'm telling you, I, I, anyway, I'm getting excited here because it excites me to know that this, this is what God has done for us in and through Jesus. So their names are in the book of life and will never be blotted out. Remember Jesus said, I will never blot out your name. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. So as far as the believer is concerned, there is only one thing. I mean, if you want to look for something that God is going to blot out, It's not going to be your name from the book of life because the book of life is the Lamb's book of life. Lamb is used to remind you He was your sacrifice and if your trust is in Him, your name is in there. And it is. Amen. But if for any reason someone is having withdrawal from blotting, then let me show you what God will blot out for you, what He does blot out for you. Isaiah chapter 43 verse 25. Prophetically speaking about the new covenant believer here. Watch this. God's speaking here and He says, I, even I, am He, watch this, who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Isn't that powerful? The only thing that God will blot out To do with you, believer, is is that He blots out your sins, your transgressions. Praise God for that. Aren't you glad that God blots out your transgressions? That He blotted them out in Jesus? So, yeah, does something to do with you get blotted out? Yes, your sins. Does your name get blotted out from the book of life, from the Lamb's book of life? No, because your trust and confidence is in Him. So we don't ever have to, you know, go around being concerned and I'm not performing and I'm not doing it. I'm not saying take it easy and be lax either. Because, I mean, the appreciation of this and having, you know, Jesus in us wants to just express itself through us. God blots out your sin so your name will never be blotted out of His book of life. Amen. That's in essence what we've seen right there. Now, if He blotted out your sins... It means that there is no record of your sins. Which means there is no reason for Him to blot out your name from the book of life. Isn't that so? Absolutely. And so you can be rest assured and know that your name is in the book of life, in the Lamb's book of life, and it will always eternally be there. Why? Because you've placed your trust and confidence in Him. Amen? Praise God, praise God. And that is the freeing truth about names being blotted out of the book of life. It ain't going to happen, praise God, because your trust and confidence is in Jesus. Amen. We trust that you are blessed by this message. For more information about our ministry or to make a donation to help us continue spreading the gospel, please visit our website at RedemptionInJesus.com